0: You're listening to At Large, a podcast brought to you by China-US Focus, recorded on July 18th, 2018, with me, James Chow. Hello from Hong Kong and welcome to your new episode of At Large, where I cover the China-United States relationship and how that's reshaping what we're seeing globally. This week, so much to cover. We've got Trump in Europe, him in the UK at the NATO summit, and of course, meeting with Russia's President Vladimir Putin. I'm also going to touch on the trade war, global goals with Jeffrey Sachs and Mandela Day, the 100th anniversary, Barack Obama giving this year's Lecture. Let's start off with this something a bit lighter football fans in Croatia, but I think since we're talking to a US audience, maybe we should call it soccer fans. Ahead of the World Cup finals in Moscow, Croatian fans. Talking about their chances of beating the mighty France. Uh, what's interesting here is that Croatia is the smallest country in almost seventy years to reach the final two teams. There's always something to be said about the underdog and what that says about identity. But I think underdog and identity brings on new meaning at a time when Europe is deeply fragmented, when Theresa May is still struggling to strike a deal with the EU on exiting the European Union. I saw a picture. Of of involve- a friend's grandmother recently in Paris on Instagram. And she's in her 90s. And when I spoke with my friend afterwards and remarked how beautiful the picture was, he happened to say to me that his grandmother was in Paris when the armistice was signed, that she was also there at a time when she could remember horse carriages travelling down the Champs-Élysées. So it was with no surprise when he said that she thinks time was much slower then when people had time in the afternoon to sit down for tea to meet their friends and their family. But when I asked him what she thought about the world today, he said she's appalled that people find identity in their own small communities, whether it be sexual, racial, religious or based on education, that she was saddened that there was no sense of belonging to something bigger and wider. The reason why I mentioned this is because football tournaments or soccer tournaments can often bring out a very nationalistic side in all of us. But I think there's something very positive in celebrating being part of something much bigger than oneself. And when I heard the fans in Croatia before the finals, I was reminded of that, that there is hope in sports, there is hope in music, there is hope in culture, that all of these different aspects of our lives beyond the economy, beyond politics, really has a wonderful ability to unify and to remind us that the world is much bigger than oneself. Here's what was happening over before the finals. You know, for us, it would be everything. All the all of the dreams come coming true. Because nobody believed in these dreams, so it would be everything. Well, I'm going to take you from soccer goals to global goals, the Sustainable Development Goals, 17 of them, and within them, hundreds of targets are another way of uniting the world in the post-2015 agenda. It includes every country, rich or poor, or somewhere in between. It covers all kinds of development issues, whether it be gender, education, education, Health and well being, or climate change, or peace and security. And China has taken a very active part in this. President Xi Jinping, uh, when world leaders signed off on the SDGs at the General Assembly in September 2015, he unveiled an initial pledge of $2 billion with aims to step that up to $12 billion by 2030 when those SDGs come to an end. But Jeffrey Sachs, the American economist, is very worried, he says, that the United States is far behind on achieving the key global goals. He wrote about that in an opinion piece this week. And he also reminded us that the SDGs, according to his studies, equate exactly to happiness. Um, I think that what's also important to remember here is it's not just the United States. There is not one country, Sachs says, that's on target to achieve every goal by 2030. And I worry about that because I expect there'll be a last minute dash to the goalpost uh, to tick off on goals one, two, three, four, five, six, and so on. And amidst that rush, there will be real tangible goals that could have been achieved that will get lost somewhere that will come out as a footnote rather than as a primary goal that countries and governments had committed to back in 2015 to achieving for the people that they represent. So that's food for thought over there. Let's go now to Donald Trump. Why not? Let's talk about what happened in Europe and concentrate instead on what happened with the NATO summit. He has spoken a lot about this in the past. He spoke a lot about it before getting to Brussels for that key meeting. And the reason why I highlight NATO in all of this is because we can get very distracted by personalities rather than by content and substance. And the NATO summit offers a very real latest take on what the US president is thinking about multilateralism, about being part of a wider community, as my friend's grandmother was saying uh, in an earlier story that we covered here. And where he is as he comes up to the US midterm elections on His willingness to be part of something that reaches beyond America first. Right or wrong, I'm not saying that. Um, But I did want to have a real take on that. So Eleanor Cliff is a political analyst at the US news site, The Daily Beast. And here's her interpretation of what happened over in Brussels.
1: The president pronounced it the best NATO meeting ever. (laughs) And uh, I think he feels pleased because he made his point that the NATO allies have to uh, put in more money for their defense. And uh, so I think he's pleased with the outcome. As for the allies, they're very careful about pushing back. I mean, nobody wants to kind of set him off. So I think people were basically nodding and gentle pushback and then they'll wait for the next crisis to erupt. And I don't necessarily think any of these countries are going to increase their contribution to NATO. They're having difficulty meeting the expectations as it is. It's 2.5% of GDP by 2024. He wants 4% and he wants it sooner, which uh, analysts are saying that would militarize uh, Europe, which I don't think is what anybody really wants. So I think the key with this president is you kind of treat him uh, gently and then you let him go on his uh, merry way.
0: The other big story, of course, that's going to trundle on for many, many months. So excuse me if we keep on returning to this topic. But I think it's so important if only for the human angle and how people are going to suffer because of this trade dispute between the United States and China. The U.S., of course, uh, now bringing in another, an additional $200 billion worth of goods subject to additional tariffs. Uh, Yen Liang is an associate economics professor at Willamette University. And so she has this almost bilateral viewpoint on what's happening over here. And also what that's going to mean. She predicts that the trade war, as I said, is going to just continue and perhaps accelerate with increased tariffs, the introduction of new barriers, and also possibly from the Chinese government side, regulatory uh, aspects that are going to make it harder for U.S. companies to do business in China or with China. Here's what else she said in an interview last week. No one really wins from a trade war, so the point is, you know, who loses less. Um, and from right now, it seems that you know um, the trade activities has still been, you know, um, pretty active. Uh, but China seemed to have the stronger reaction so far um, to this trade war. Its stock market has lost about two percent of value since the trade war started. Its Chinese RMB has lost about three percent of its value, and so on and so forth. And China relies a lot more on exports to, you know, provide demand for its economy. Um, so I would say at this point, um, China is sort of at the weaker side. But at the same time, you know, China has reduced its reliance on export to generate demand you know, since the global financial crisis and the global demand weakens. I want to finish off with hope because in a way that's how we began with the World Cup and all those wonderful human emotions that can't be forgotten, especially at this time in our part of human history. It was Mandela Day And it was a reminder that 100 years after Nelson Mandela was born and all the struggles that he persevered and overcame in his relatively short lifetime, if you think about a human life being less than 100 years, being only a blink in the context of mankind, he was able to achieve something so beautiful I spoke to his grandson a year ago, Ndaba Mandela, the co-founder and chairman of Africa Rising. In addition to that, the torch bearer and the protector of his grandfather and his family's extraordinary history through apartheid through winning freedom and then through leading and creating really a new country that came about after the dismantling of the apartheid architecture in south africa this is what i asked him one year ago coming up to this milestone for the Mandelas. we're coming up to nelson mandela day but we're also coming up to the 100th anniversary of his birth. What do you think you want that calendar to achieve in those 12 months? How do we inspire and make sure that the world does not forget Nelson Mandela? We focus primarily on the youth and it is the youth that you know are at risk of forgetting about Nelson Mandela and we need to make sure that we work very hard to make sure they understand who Nelson Mandela is and one of my goals after after 2018 is to actually build a Nelson Mandela Children's Museum you know where young people can interact and touch Nelson
1: Mandela as if he was their own grandfather
0: i'm heading off to europe this evening and one of the Uh, things I'm most looking forward to is finding a bookstore and finding a copy of Ndaba's new book called Going to the Mountain Life Lessons from My Grandfather, Nelson Mandela. And it's exactly what he said in that interview, being able to share the nuanced moments that they had uh, together so that he can in some way replicate the experience of Nelson Mandela's, his grandfather, to being a grandfather to everybody after his death and going into the future. Uh, going Up to the Mountain is published by Penguin, and you can find that online and offline in bookstores wherever you are. That's it for this week's At Large. Join me again at the same time next week. From me and the team here at China U.S. Focus, thank you for being with us and take care.